Anybody here who didn't get a St. Thomas Pledge card? want to make sure everybody has one. Over here they need one. Uh, I lost Scott. Pastor Meyer, you get it? Need one over here. Anybody else? Need one here, one here, one here. That's encouraging. <laughs> Means they're still out. <laughs> Amen. Okay, hold up your hand if you needed one. Here they come. I will take care of that in a minute. Now, if you happen to be that person that put the $300 in and we don't know when you're going to do that, you can get another paper, and if it comes in with $300 on, we'll know to replace yours if you'd rather do it that way. Anybody else still need one? Got them all? Okay, and get those in as soon as you can. And uh, again, what you do there determines what we can do here. All right. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. So 1 Peter 3. And in 1 Peter 3, we're going to look at verses 13 through 18. 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 18. First Peter's towards the back part of your Bible. And the Bible says there in verse 13, Who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you, a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also has suffered for sins the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And let's pray. Lord, once again, we thank you that we can come together in this place. We thank you for the freedoms of our country that allow us to do this without fear. And we thank you for the folks who have come to church today. We praise you that they, they had a desire to be in a place where they could fellowship with other believers and hear the word of God preached and declared once again. Now we pray for your blessing on our time together. No doubt there are unsaved people in our midst. We don't know who they are, but you do. And I pray that if there's any here without Christ, that before they leave this place today, they'd allow us the privilege of taking the Bible and showing them how they can know for sure they're going to heaven when they die and their sins are forgiven. And then I pray for believers here this morning that our hearts would be open and tender towards you and we would allow you to, to have the freedom to work in us and with us that which you would desire. Help me with my voice. Give me strength of voice. And Lord, use this message to your praise and glory. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this, What a Savior. 
What a Savior. And I want to call your attention to verse 18 of our text, where Peter writes, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Now, the passage we've read, 13 through 18, those verses, uh, the main subject of those verses is the suffering of Christ and uh, suffering for Christ as believers. It's a recurring theme in Peter's first epistle. In chapter 2, verses 19 through 25, we find Peter speaking on the same subject. And in both of those passages, he reveals Christ to be our example in suffering as believers. Today, I want to bring a message not on our suffering as believers, but rather I want to focus our attention on verse 18. And while this verse begins by addressing the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, it goes far beyond to reveal what his suffering meant to us. Here in this one verse, we find a tremendous revelation of the purpose of and work accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. How sad it is that people can know intellectually the truth of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection without seeing the wonder of it all, that Christ would willingly subject himself to the suffering and the agony uh, that he had to suffer. It's something that's very hard for us as, as people to comprehend why he would be so willing to do that for us. In our text verse today, Peter reveals more than just the suffering of Christ, but he reveals him to be the great Savior of mankind, our great Savior. And this morning, I believe we need to see him as our great Savior. We want to look at verse 18, and we want to see Christ and his finished work on our behalf. And as we do, I say once again, what a Savior. So let's look at verse 18, and let's notice first of all, the suffering of Christ. He says there, for Christ also has suffered, uh, once suffered for sins. We know that Jesus suffered and he suffered an awful, awful death. As we read the, the account of his crucifixion, we read how he was beaten, how he was spit on, how he was abused, how the beard was plucked out of his face and uh, how the crown of thorns was put on his head and ultimately how he was taken up Calvary's hill and put on that cross and nailed to that cross and had that cross erected or put into that socket, pulling all of his bones out of joint and uh, suffering that. And we see how he suffered. And you know, crucifixion was the most agonizing method the Romans knew uh, for executing someone. Uh, crucifixion was extremely, extremely torturous. And I've shared with you before how the person would be nailed to that cross and then they would put that, they had a socket in the ground, they would put that cross in that socket and it would pull the bones out of joint. And then the person had a place for their feet where they could rest their feet and push up. And that allowed them to be able to get their breath. As they hung there, they couldn't breathe. The weight was on their lungs and they could not breathe. So they would have to push themselves up in order to get a breath and then relax. And they would hang there sometimes for days before they finally succumbed to the awfulness of that kind of death. And that's the kind of death Jesus had to face, crucifixion. He hung on the cross, and he hung on that cross embarrassed and ashamed. 
He hung there. He was humiliated when he was put on that cross. He's hanging there as a common criminal between two criminals. Not only that, he's hanging there naked and bleeding, and he's enduring the mocking and the jeering that's going on of people who are passing by, said that the Bible says, wagging their tongues at him, uh, saying, if you're really the Son of God, save yourself, and, 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 and all those kinds of things. And he had to endure all of that, a very terrible, terrible, awful uh, death on the cross of Calvary. So the first thing we see is Christ as our suffering Savior. He also has once suffered for our sins. And the second thing we see is the sinlessness of Christ. Verse 18, we notice it says uh, that he suffered, but it says the just. And uh, let me find my place here. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. You see, we need to recognize that Jesus was the only person who ever lived on this earth without sin. And he's called just, meaning he was righteous. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 22, look over there, if you will, chapter 22 and verse 22. Here he's testifying of Christ. He said, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. That's Peter's testimony, and he walked with Jesus for three and a half years, and he was eyewitness to what Jesus did and, and what he said. And he says there was no guile found in him. Peter knew that in three and a half years, he never saw Jesus do one thing wrong or say one thing wrong. The fact is, his whole lifetime, 33 and a half years, Jesus lived on this earth and lived among men and never one time said a bad thing, had a bad thought, or did anything that was untoward. He was completely sinless. The word just, as it's used there, means uh, it refers to his righteousness. By the way, uh, right after that, it mentions unjust, and uh, the just died for the unjust. That unjust refers to us in our sinfulness. Jesus never once sinned. And the sinlessness of Christ is, is an important doctrine because if he, if he wasn't sinless, then we have no sacrifice for our sin. But oh, how the world uh, uh, attacks, if you will, the sinlessness of Christ. We read the liberal theologians, and sometimes you come across this, and they attack the impeccability of Christ. What I mean by that is those liberal theologians who say Jesus could have sinned, but he chose not to. Listen, friend, that's not true. Jesus could not sin. If he could have sinned, he would have had to have a sin nature. If he had a sin nature, he would have had to needed a Savior. No, he didn't have a sin nature. He was divine in his nature, and he never one time sinned, nor could he sin, nor would he have sinned. Then we have the Hollywood crowd, and they come along, and they see the sinlessness of Christ, but they make a mockery out of it. And uh, they portray Jesus in a very negative way. They try to show him as a whoremonger, and uh, some even try to show him as a homosexual. They attack the very sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, but nonetheless, the Bible declares he knew no sin. He did no sin. If Jesus is not sinless, then he cannot be our Savior. You see, God required a blood sacrifice to atone for our sins. Hold your place in Peter. I want you to go over to Hebrews for just a minute. Chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. 
And I want to look at verse 22. In Hebrews 9, 22, the Bible says that almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Listen, the only, the only thing that can wash away sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. God required a, a blood a sacrifice to atone for our sins. And that blood sacrifice had to be sinless blood. And Jesus is the only human to ever live to have sinless blood that could be sacrificed. And so we see uh, the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third thing we see is the substitution of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says he suffered the just for the unjust. What that means is Jesus suffered on that cross and he suffered in our place. He, this is called, if you, I'm going to give you a big theological terminology, all right? He died and suffered what we call a vicarious atonement. And what that means is he died as our substitute. He took our place. Many of us know that song, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on that cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. That's the reality of it. He, was, he, he died on the cross for our sins, not for his own sins. Listen, he went to that cross as an innocent man. Now, he died with criminals, but it, there, was, there was no sin that he hung on that cross for. He was completely innocent. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, the Bible says this, For he, that means God, hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus went to that cross and took on him our sin so that he could atone for our sin. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died in our place. And in 1 John 2, verse 2, John writes, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus hung on that cross, he was atoning for the sins of all mankind forever. When he hung on that cross and he uttered those words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We believe that's the very instant when God gathered up all the sins of the past of man and all the sins of the future of man and all the sins of the present of man and put them all on Jesus. And at that point, he was separated from his father for the only time that he ever would be because he was atoning for the sins of mankind, and he paid our sin debt. But not just our debt, for the debt of the whole world. Jesus has paid the sin debt for all people, but sadly, many people will not receive his payment, and they'll end up paying their own debt. Jesus went willingly to the cross for us. He came to earth to go to the cross. When he left heaven, he knew what was before him. He came to earth knowing that there was a cross ultimately awaiting him. That brutality that he would face and that awfulness of embarrassment and shame that he would have to go through. He knew all that before he ever left heaven. And yet he came anyway and took our place. And by the way, nobody took Jesus' life. The Bible says he willingly gave his life for us. Over in John chapter 17, 
or chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Here's what he said. Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Listen, no man took Jesus' life. He gave his life. Someone said this, Christ died as a substitute for us. His death was more than a martyrdom. He was not a victim of circumstances from which he could not escape. His death was planned by God in order to be a substitute for we sinners. And I added to that, no, his death was the fulfilling of the very plan of God. So we see the substitution of Christ on our behalf. Then we see the slaying of Christ. The slaying of Christ. The verse goes on there in verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And so we notice the slaying of Christ. He died on that cross. Jesus was hung there, and his death was verified by the Roman soldiers, and his, as they pierced his side with that spear. If you remember the story, it was getting late in the day, and the Pharisees went to Pilate and begged that the bodies of those who had been crucified would be taken off the, off the crosses before the Passover. And so uh, Pilate sent Roman soldiers over there to make sure that those who were on the cross were dead so that they could take them off. And the Bible says when they went to there, they found the two thieves, the one on either side of Jesus, uh, were still alive. And so they broke their legs. And if you remember, I explained to you how somebody being crucified had to lift up to get a breath. When their legs were broken, they could no longer lift up, and they wouldn't survive but a few minutes. And so the Roman soldiers broke their legs to make sure they, were, they would be dead when they were taken off the cross. But when it came to Jesus, the Bible says he was already dead. So they didn't have to break his legs. And of course, the scripture had already said not a bone of him would be broken. But they wanted to make sure that he was dead. They wanted to be ascertained uh, proof that he was dead. And so they took the spear, and the Bible says they jammed it up into his side, and we believe they pierced his very heart. The Bible says water and blood came out. And with that, they made sure he was dead. Jesus died on that cross, and his body was prepared and buried and sealed in the tomb. You know, think about this. After he was dead, Joseph of Arimathea begged for the body of Jesus so he could bury the body. And Nicodemus, if you remember Nicodemus from John chapter 3, also helped Joseph to get that body down off the cross and to, and to prepare it for burial. And uh, then there were the woman, women who helped prepare the body for burial as well. And I'm told that they, when they buried a body... Uh, such as Jesus, and, and his was a, a rather wealthy burial because uh, Joseph of Arimathea was wealthy. But they would use up to 100 pounds in different spices to put on his body, and then they would wrap the body. And so all that was done. And think to yourself, these people were handling this body. These people were feeling the cold flesh and all of a dead body. Uh, surely uh, they would know if Christ was still alive or not. And, and so we understand his body was prepared for burial, and he was buried. I emphasize all that because there's a lot of people today who try to deny the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
why we have some who teach that that wasn't Jesus who died on the cross, that was his substitute, that he paid somebody to take his place on that cross, and he didn't die there at all. Boy, what a fairy tale that is. Not just that. Some teach that he didn't die on the cross, that he just fainted or swooned, they call it, and, uh, and went into a coma. And when they took him down off the cross and laid him in that cool tomb, he revived. Now, how foolish is that? The Roman soldiers made sure he was dead. Joseph and, and Nicodemus handled that body and uh, knew that he was dead. How can they say that he wasn't dead? But even if, if, the, if that was the case, how in the world would he be able to come out of that tomb uh, healthy and strong like he did? Somebody said this, Christ indeed died on Calvary. Some erroneously teach that Christ simply fainted on the cross and was revived by the, the coldness of the tomb and then pushed away the stone and came out. But that's absurd. His physical condition was so terrible that it's amazing he did not die sooner on the cross than he did. And furthermore, if he was put in the tomb alive, he would have been smothered by the grave clothes. In his weakened condition, he could not have moved the great stone that was against the tomb's opening. Christ had to die in the flesh, and he did. So we see the suffering of Christ, the sinlessness of Christ, the substitution of Christ, the slaying of Christ, and then this verse tells us of the survival of Christ. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Thank God, quickened means to be made alive. And Jesus was resurrected bodily from that grave. Uh, let me remind you, his resurrection was not just a spirit resurrection. It was his body. When they came to that grave and they entered that grave, the body was gone, not just his spirit. Some people try to say, well, his body was left, but he raised in his spirit. No, 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 a thousand times no. And his physical body was changed into a heavenly body. We find Jesus able to do things after his resurrection in his glorified body that he could have never done in his regular human body. For instance, he suddenly appeared in a closed room uh, to his disciples. No doors were open, no windows were open, just all of a sudden in the midst of them, he appeared, and not long after in the midst of them, he disappeared. And then he, he appeared to those on the road to Emmaus, the two, two who were on their way to Emmaus, and he spent the day teaching them from the scriptures about himself, and they never recognized him. And that evening as they sat down to eat an evening meal and Jesus uh, blessed the food, they recognized who he was, and at that instant, he was gone from them. Listen, that glorified body can do things this flesh and blood body will never do. And if you're saved, one day you're going to get a glorified body just like Jesus has. That's when the rapture happens and the dead in Christ uh, rise again, and we'll get a glorified body, and we'll be able to do all those things he can do. Sometimes, you know, your imagination runs away with you when you think about that. But think about being able to just appear places and, uh, and travel uh, that quick to go from one place to another. Uh, there's so much about heaven we don't understand, but it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful place and a tremendous existence. And we're going to exist there in glorified bodies. Thank the Lord. We who are saved are going to have a body just like his. Jesus overcame death. He overcame the grave. 
and all who are in him will do the same. And finally, in this verse, we see the saving of Christ, the saving of Christ, that he might bring us to God. Notice the verse doesn't say that we might get to God. It doesn't say that we might be in God's presence. It says very clearly that he might bring us to God. Listen, he is the only way that we might get to God. And Jesus came and died on the cross to make a way for us to get to God. We know that sin has separated man from God. Way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, if you remember the story, the Bible says that they, God used to come in fellowship with Adam and Eve in the garden. And this is before they sinned. And then after they sinned, God came looking for them. He said, where art thou, Adam? Of course, God knew right where he was. But Adam and Eve now realized they had sinned and they were hiding from God. The Bible says they, had, they realized for the first time they were naked. They had uh, used leaves to cover themselves. And God had to kill an animal in order to make coverings for them. But we know how sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve. And from that time until Jesus Christ, man was estranged from God and had no way to get to God. Uh, no way for him to be in the presence of Almighty God. But Jesus died to make a way for sinners to come to God. He came to atone for our sins. He came, as I said earlier, to pay the price we owe for our sins. And he did that on Calvary's cross. He shed his blood for us, the shedding of blood for remission of sins. And we understand the Bible teaches that Jesus now is our only way to be reconciled to God. Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Oh, there are a lot of people trying to get, get to heaven in other places and using other names, but no other name can save us. Not Allah, not Buddha, not Confucius, or any other name. Jesus, or Peter dealt with that in, in Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 12, where he says, or 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one saving name, and that name is Jesus. And our goods will not buy us access to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, we can't work our way to heaven. People oftentimes, uh, when, you, when I ask them, and we go soul winning, and I say, if you died right now, do you know you're going to heaven? Very often I hear this, well, I think so. Sometimes I hear it this way, well, I hope so. And I, I follow up with this question, well, wh why would God let you into heaven? If God said to you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And people say something to this effect, well, I've been a good person or I've done good things. And then I have to take them to the scriptures and share with them, well, I'm glad you're a good person, but that won't get you to heaven. And I give them Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's not by our works. It's by his grace. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Listen, you can't work your way to heaven. <clears throat> Think about this. If you could work your way to heaven, if, if, if that's how God wanted us to get to heaven, 
wouldn't, wouldn't you think he would have gave us a list of the works he wants us to do? I haven't found that list yet because it don't exist. But sometimes when I'm dealing with people and they say, well, I've been a good person, I say, well, how good do you have to be? Where's the list of what you have to do? See, we don't have that because it doesn't exist. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. It's not by our good works. I've said before, I'll say it again, no man is ever going to go to heaven and go to God and say, I'm here because of what I did. Everybody in heaven is going to be there only because of what Jesus did and the fact that they accepted him as their personal Savior. By the way, it's not our religious deeds that get us to heaven either. I'm glad you're in church. I think everybody ought to go to church. And I'm glad you're here, but I want you to understand something. You're coming to church isn't going to get you to heaven. You say, well, I come to church and I put my tithe in and I, I read my Bible and I pray and I do this and I do that. Listen, friend, none of that is going to get you this much closer to heaven. All those things you're doing, you should be doing because you're saved, not to get saved. As I said, Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, religious things that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Listen, the only way we can come to God is by grace and mercy. We don't deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. What we do deserve is hell, to burn in hell forever. That's what we deserve because we're sinners. Listen, y'all look like a pretty good group this morning, but I have to tell you, we're just a bunch of dirty, filthy, rotten sinners. Well, I don't like that. Well, that's a fact. That's why Jesus had to come and die for us because we're sinners and we need a Savior and he is the only way to heaven. Our religious deeds won't save us. Our works won't save us. It uh, doesn't matter what we do. It's not going to get us closer to heaven. The only way to heaven is to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Listen, mankind was lost in sin. Mankind was eternally separated from God. Man had no hope of being reconciled to God. Because of sin, man was sentenced to spend eternity in hell. For the wages of sin is death, the Bible says, and that's to be eternally separated from God. But we read the Bible and we learn, by his mercy and grace, God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to make a way for us to be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so we read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that Jesus came and he suffered and he died in our place. He came and lived a sinless life, suffered the awful agony of the cross, was buried, and three days later he arose from the grave. Now we understand that any and all who will receive him as their Savior will have eternal life, will go to heaven and be with God for all eternity. Those who refuse to accept him are going to spend an eternity suffering in the torments of hell. And so the question this morning is, number one, have you come to Jesus Christ to be saved? Have you put your faith in him? Or are you trusting in your religious good works? Are you trusting in 
you're playing good work? Are you trusting in the fact you're just a good person? Listen, friend, it won't get you there. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior. Believer, I wonder this morning, have you grasped the reality of all Jesus has done for you, as undeserving as each of us is? He did it, and he did it all for me. He did it, and he did it all for you. It's a personal thing. Jesus loved you that much, and he loved me that much. The Bible says that he he came, and God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you received that gift? Let's bow our heads for just a minute. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to talk to you for just a minute. I want you to be honest with me. You're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You're not saved. You know it and God knows it. But this morning, God is offering you salvation. This morning, God has promised that if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, he'll save you. You're here this morning and you're not saved. Would you simply acknowledge the fact that you're not saved with an uplifted hand? You'd you'd raise your hand and say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I know it and God knows it. Here's my hand. I won't call your name. I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to pray for you. I can't do that if I don't know who you are. Would you just slip your hand up? Preacher, that's me. I'm not saved. Pray for me. Now I want to talk to believers. If you're saved and you know it, would you raise your hand? You can put it down. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad Jesus came and did what he did so that you could be saved? Thank the Lord for that. Let's stand together.